I want you to open your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. I'm going to read this from the New International Reader's Version. The weapons I fight with are not the weapons the world uses. In fact, it's just the opposite. My weapons have the power of God to destroy the camps of the enemy. Glory. So friends, we cannot afford to let the enemy set up camp in our minds. We've been talking about pulling down strongholds, and if you haven't heard the previous messages, I would strongly urge you to go online and, and, and listen to those because it will help you better understand what we're saying today. If you give the devil an inch, you know that he will take a mile. If you crack the door open, he will barge in with his fiendish friends, and they will sully every room in the house. Friends, you need to know this, that Satan is not interested in merely harassing you. He wants to ruin you. He doesn't want your money. Did you know that? He doesn't want your possessions. He doesn't even want your family. He's after the ultimate prize, your soul. You know, do you think that Satan was interested in Job's camels and donkeys? He didn't care about that. He was after, after Job. He wanted Job to deny the faith and turn his back on God. Job 42 verse 10, however, says that in the end, God restored the fortunes of Job. He turned his captivity. And in the end, God gave him twice as much as he had in the beginning. So that's good news. That means some people say, well, I guess I'm just God's Job. Well, praise the Lord. That means you're going to be delivered and you're going to get twice as much. Praise the Lord. Amen. So even if you've been laid waste by the adversary, God, my friend, God can turn your situation around and he will give you double for your trouble. But you and I must be patient and consistent. Now, those are not dirty words. Those are biblical words. Nobody gets excited, but you need to know this. You and I must be patient and consistent, and I'll prove it to you. Notice James 5.11, James 5.11 Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. That means they're steady. Anybody can be steady when the sun shines, but he's talking about being steady in the storm. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, God wants to show you mercy, but you need to realize that things don't always happen as fast as you would like. If you are impatient, you will likely miss your miracle. How many of you realize that God doesn't necessarily work on your time schedule, and it's extremely important for you to suggest that He should? He is God and you are not. Amen. You don't need to tell him how to do his business. You just need to trust and obey. 
Amen? So, we're talking about pulling down strongholds. Some Christians do not seem to realize that we are in a spiritual war. I said, some Christians don't seem to realize that you and I, we are in the midst of a spiritual war. Huh? The Apostle Paul did not urge us to put on the pajamas of God. He said, put on the armor of God. If there was no threat, you would not need any armor. Amen? So that's the thing. Many Christians in their Christian life are just walking around in their skivvies. They should be putting on the armor of God so they would be protected and prepared for what's coming their way. Can I get an amen? Now, in any successful combat, you must know the tactics of your enemy. In any successful combat, you must know the tactics of your enemy. What is the devil's strategy? He wants to influence our thinking to lead us astray. He wants to influence our thinking to lead us astray. That's why we must take every thought captive. We must mind our minds. Friends, it's not okay to dwell on, meditate on, and think on wrong thoughts. It's not okay. Because that's how the enemy gets a foothold in your life. Can I get an amen? If we are not vigilant in this department, see, the reason we're not vigilant is because no one can see your thoughts. And all you're concerned about is what people see. They see how you're dressed. They, they hear the words that you speak. So that's all you're concerned about, looking good in public. God's not concerned about how good you look in public. He's concerned about what's going on inside of you. That's the problem. If we are not vigilant in this area, a foothold will become a stronghold. Are you listening to me? Amen. A stronghold often begins, listen carefully, a stronghold often begins as an imperfection in our soul. A stronghold, the place where the enemy has an advantage over us, it often begins as an imperfection in our souls. And in that place, Satan plays upon it. He exacerbates the problem to bring it to bring us down. You know, an open wound in your body, an open wound left unattended will likely become infected, leading to possibly gangrene and the loss of life or limb. In the same way, if we do not apply, regularly apply the antiseptic of God's Word to the hurts in our soul, a small defect in our thinking will metastasize. In other words, it will spread like cancer and capture our whole life. Are you listening to me today? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So what should we do? Well, James chapter 1, verse 21 says this. First of all, it urges us to put away sin and notice, and receive with meekness. Somebody say meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, James was writing to born-again Christians. They're already saved. 
He's not suggesting that these people are not need to get saved. They're, you guys must not be saved. But see, the key here is understanding the word soul. In this particular context, and it's a little confusing, I'll tell you why, because sometimes the word soul in a general sense means like a person's life. And sometimes the word soul specifically refers to a person's mind, will, and emotions, which is connected to, but also separate from, your spirit. Man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. So in this context, I'm convinced that James is talking about your mind and your will and your emotions. And the word translated save in this verse is the word sozo, and it also means to heal and to make whole. For example, James uses the same word in James chapter 5 and verse 15. He says, the prayer of faith will save sozo, the sick. Well, he doesn't mean, he's not talking about eternal life, forgiveness of sins. He's talking about healing the body of those who are sick. That's what he's talking about. So it's the same word. So here's the point, to stay healthy mentally and emotionally we must continually hear the Word of God to stay fit and sound, because God, God's concerned about your thinking. He's concerned about your emotions. He's concerned about your, your mind. He's concerned about your soul, you see. To stay healthy and sound in your soul, we must continually hear and accept and receive and believe His Word. So God's Word is not only medicine for our bodies, Proverbs chapter 4 says that, God's Word is not only medicine for our bodies, but also it brings healing and restoration to our minds and to our souls. Can I get an amen? Now, some Christians, of course, they're not here this morning, but some Christians will argue, well, you know, Pastor John, I've been in church my whole life and I don't need another sermon. Well, you cannot remove strongholds with that attitude. James said, receive the word with meekness. So that means it takes humility, not arrogance. And the worst kind of pride is religious pride. How many of you know that? Amen. So you cannot get free from these issues just in your own strength. If you could, you've already, you would have already done it. You need God's help. You need His intervention. But God gives grace not to the arrogant. He gives, that, gives it to the humble. Humbly receive the Word of God. But notice this. He said, the implanted Word is able to save or heal or restore your soul. The What kind of word? The implanted word. Now, to help us better understand this, I think we could, we could use a slightly different word, transplant. Transplant. For example, a, a man has a failing kidney or some other organ, and when a donor is found, the defective organ is removed through surgery, and the functioning one is inserted in its place. And if, this is a big gift, if the body will accept that new organ, the patient is cured. When we come to church, friends, we are not attending a social event. 
We are undergoing spiritual surgery. In other words, think about this. If you're going to the OT, I don't mean Old Testament, I mean the operating theater. If you're going to the OT, the doctor doesn't care if that's a new dress. The nurses don't care if those are stylish earrings. They're going to cut you open, baby, and they don't care what you're wearing, right? So this is not a fashion show, and the aisle is not a catwalk. That, that really should not be a, a high priority in our lives, and obviously in some lives it's not a priority, but that should not be a high priority. We're here to do business with God because there are some hurts that need to be healed. There are some issues that need to be dealt with, and we need to receive the transplant of God's Word. The defective thought patterns are removed and are replaced with God's thoughts. And if your heart will accept the truth, the patient is cured. How many times, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many times have you come to church, you know, frustrated or discouraged or ready to quit or angry, and then as we worship together, as we heard the word of God, it just seemed like that frustration dissipated, that sense of hopelessness went away. And when it was over, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay now. We need that. Come on. That, that's why if you're a Mother's Day only Christian, you're going to have a lot of issues in your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. Praise God. Every military commander focuses his attack on his opponent's weakest point. No army general is going to go headlong into the area where the enemy is the strongest. He's going to look for the weakest place. The devil does not strike you where you're strong. I said, the devil does not strike you where you're strong because that's probably going to fail. He doesn't want to fail any more than you want to fail. But he is probing. He aims his assaults on an area of weakness in your life. Let me say that again. The enemy focuses his assaults on an area of weakness in your life. That's where you are most susceptible to believing his lies. So the devil is searching for an imperfection in your soul. And that's the soil, the fertile soil that he needs to plant his seeds of deception and to, then to water them by continually bringing that lie to your mind over and over again. Now notice with me another scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I'll read this from the International uh, Standard Version. It says, uh, Philippians 3, 12, It's not that I have already reached the goal or have already become perfect. So that's really quite a statement. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not perfect. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Please let me know if I'm wrong. But I tend to think that if Paul was not perfect, you're not either. Am I right? 
Hmm. But I'll go one step further than that. We say, well, nobody's perfect. I would say to you, nobody's normal. Nobody in this room is normal. Why? Because everybody has some issues. You don't have to nod your head. I know it. Everybody has some defects. Everybody's got something that's, 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 that's hindering. Everybody has an area of weakness. You can say amen. That'll help me preach a little better. A, go amen. Uh, you're learning. Great. God, God bless you. All right. Everybody has issues. Everybody has imperfections in their soul. And that's where we are most vulnerable. Now, two of the most common strongholds in the lives of Christians, two of the most common strongholds are insecurity and low self-esteem. Two of the most common strongholds. You should know this. It's possible for a person to superficially think one thing while at a much deeper level, he thinks the opposite. You need to think about what you think about. Let me say that again. It's possible for a person to superficially, you know what I mean? Like just at, at a, at a, at a uh, just on the surface, to think one thing while at a much deeper level in him, he actually thinks the opposite. That's why Proverbs 23, 7 says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That means it's not just what you claim to believe, or it's not just a doctrine that you profess to accept that really matters. It's what you think in your heart. Are you listening to me? It's what you think in your heart. So many Christians declare, you know, I am a child of love. You know, they, they declare, I, which is great. They declare, I, I, they confess, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm born of God's spirit. Uh, you know, uh, I have his life and nature. And that's right. And that's good. Don't misunderstand me. But while they say those words, they are also being haunted on the inside by a sense of worthlessness. They inwardly feel that they have no value. They suffer from a poor self-image. See? Again, you know, on the outside, you know, it appears that everything's fine. Praise the Lord. Oh, glory to God. You know, wonderful service today. Yes. Oh, yes, I'm born again. But inside, they still have this feeling that they can't seem to shake, that I'm no good, that I don't have any worth as a person. And in the final analysis, it's not how others see us that determines whether we win or lose in life. It's how we see ourselves. I said, whether we have victory or defeat is not dependent on what other people think of you. 
So that really shouldn't be your concern. That, should, that shouldn't matter to you. It's what you think of yourself that matters. The Bible tells me in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and verse 33, that after they scouted out the promised land, 10 of the spies brought back this report. They said, we can't do it. It's not possible. There are giants in the land. And they said, notice this, notice this. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Isn't that interesting? They didn't just talk about how big the walled cities were. They talked about how small they felt. They said, we, the Israelites, we who went in and despy the land, the territory, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look like little insects in their eyes too. How did the children of Israel know that the Canaanites saw them as grasshoppers? How did they know that? They didn't. They just imagined it to be so. In fact, that's not true. Years later, actually a generation later, Rahab the harlot in, in, in Jericho told two other spies, nobody in the land has any courage to face you. Our hearts have melted because of you because we heard what God did in Egypt. We heard how the Lord, your God, parted the Red Sea. See, they didn't see them as grasshoppers. They were terrified of them, but they didn't know that. Amen? How you see yourself determines how you see the world around you. How you see yourself determines how you see everything else in life. So if you see yourself as worthless, that's going to skew your perspective of life. That's going to color and distort everything you see in life. So it's vitally important that that's corrected, that you see yourself the way God sees you. Are you still here? Notice another scripture. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That tells me that patterns that are established at an early age have a lasting effect. That's why we call this the formative years. So that tells me that many times insecurities and low self-esteem is not something they, that an adult picked up in his 30s or 40s. I mean, it, it possibly could be, but more often than not, it's something that began from early childhood. Are you listening to me? If your parents constantly harangued you and told you things like, uh, you're no good, you're a disgrace, everything you do is a failure, 
You're stupid. I don't even know why I had you. Why can't you be like somebody else's child? Those hurtful statements fester like a wound in the soul of a little child or a young person. And those words are the foundation that Satan uses to build his stronghold. I think, truth be told, the enemy inspires some people to say hurtful things, and then he takes that same message and he keeps hammering it in to the little heart and mind of the person who first heard it. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Now, I would say this to you. I'm fortunate in this regard that I had a very stable upbringing, and that's not true of everybody. I had a very stable childhood. Uh, my father had the same job his entire life. My, his whole life, which is my whole time growing up until he passed away, he had the same job. He went to work the same place. He worked Monday to Friday, the same hours, very, very regular. Then uh, we, we moved, in, in, in my lifetime, we moved only three times as a family. Only three times we moved. But each time it was to another house in the same neighborhood, or the same colony. So we had, we had a house on Keeler Lane, and that's actually the house that, that, you know, when I was born, you know, I grew up in. And then uh, when I was uh, uh, maybe 19 or something like that, maybe, actually in high school, earlier than that, we moved to Austin Lane. That was only like four or five blocks or streets over from the first house, same colony. Then, then uh, when I was uh, uh, like 22, 23 years old, we moved to uh, Hermitage Road, which was another five streets away. So we didn't move very far. That's it. My parents only changed churches once, once in their whole lifetime. We, we went to one Presbyterian church, and then later, you know, when I was about 16, because of different things, they, they went to another Presbyterian church, and, uh, and my mother still goes to that same church, and, that, and that's it. No, no I, did, no, I didn't do that, but that's what, as I was growing up, that's what they did, you see. So what I'm trying to say is, and, and, and on Sundays, I know this is not very interesting to you, but humor me. On Sundays, my, my father... Our family went to the same restaurant to eat after church. I mean, I would say nine times out of ten. Maybe not every time, but most of the time. And in fact, one time my brother came driving down from another city five hours away, four or five hours away, and he came on a Sunday, and, and he knew that, oh, they won't be home. They'll be at that restaurant. So he didn't drive to our house. He went straight to that restaurant, and sure enough, we were there. We, so it was a very predictable family very secure, very solid. And even today, I have a stability in my life. That's what I'm trying to get to. I, have a, I grew up with a stability in my life. But many people were not raised in a stable environment. Huh? I mean, s some parents, they change churches every weekend. That pastor said something dad doesn't like, so next week we went to that church. Then three days, uh, three weeks later, you know, somebody said something he didn't like, so we went to another church. And somebody, you know, didn't sing a song that he liked, so they, then we went to another church. And, and, and he changed his jobs every other month. And we moved from every town, you know, and village. And, and, and so that builds instability in a person's mind. 
So what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to drive at is you need to be steadfast because it'll help to breed steadfastness in your family and in others in your sphere of influence. I mean, maybe, maybe what I do in ministry is a little too predictable for you. Maybe it's a little boring, but at least it's not crazy. Thank you for your excitement, enthusiasm. Praise the Lord. I'm inspired. Praise the Lord. When children are moved from pillar to post, living with this relative, then turn around and living with this relative, you know, staying at this home, and then, you know, next year staying that home. Again, that builds insecurity in children. The greatest losers in a divorce are children. I said the greatest losers in a divorce are the children. That's one reason why it would be better to try to work it out. Do what you have to do. You know, forgive. Sort out the problems. Stick with it. If nothing else, you say, well, we hate each other. Okay, fine. But what about your children? Do you hate your children? Because a broken home is going to create instability in them. I'm not saying that they can't overcome it, but wouldn't it be better if they didn't have to deal with that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Often parents with low self-esteem pass it on to their children. Instead of inspiring their offspring they constantly discourage and belittle their children. They have a sense of unworthiness, and they transfer that to the next generation. You see? This is how strongholds get built in people's lives, even families. Then, instead of... Instead of you know, strengthening them and telling them that, to, that God will help you and, and you can do great things. The, when, when our children were small and growing up, you know, we would pray for them and we wouldn't try to scold them in our prayer. We would try to inspire them in our prayer. We wouldn't say, no, the devil's going to get you, buddy. No, no, we wouldn't say things like that. We would say, God loves you. Sometimes we felt like smacking them, but we still said, God loves you. Right now I'm having trouble, but I know God loves you, right? We would say, I would, I would quote the scriptures to them. The Bible says, the seed of the righteous shall be mighty in the earth. When my children were just little, just sitting in the backseat of the car and we're driving around, we, we went to one neighborhood years ago. I don't know if my wife, I know my wife remembers this. And it was a new, beautiful development with these gorgeous, gorgeous houses. They're like mansions. You know, we didn't, we didn't even have a house at that time, right? And we're driving around and, you know, just drooling, you know, looking out the window. And, and, you know, and we told our children, I said, one day you're going to live in a house like this. And I told our children, I expect all of you to become millionaires. I did. I still say that. I expect all of you to become millionaires. And then when you become millionaires, I want you to support my ministry. Remember, I took care of you. Payback. (laughs) Oh, you shouldn't get a child's hopes up like that. What do you want to do? Dash their hopes to pieces? Tell them, no, you don't ever think you're going to live in a house like this. You're probably going to live in some old dusty flat your whole life. Why would you do that to someone? Why would you create a self-defeatist attitude in your children? 
Why would you do that? Life is tough enough without that poison being poured into the little souls of our children. Come on, some Indians, I want to smack them right now. Their, their child comes home and he's got like one bad mark on the exam. And what does the parent look at? The 99 questions that the child got right? No, the one he got wrong. Maybe someone needs to put a mark on you. Pow, you knothead. I'm seriously considering that maybe people should have to get a license before they can have children. Let them take a test. Now you failed the test. You cannot conceive. <laughs> you would make a terrible parent. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. But even if you did not come from a good family, and I know that's true of a lot of people, a good family can come from you. Even if you did not come from a good family, a good family can come from you. You can break the cycle. You can break it by allowing the implanted Word of God to heal your soul continually. Praise the Lord. One of the most common strongholds in the lives of many Christians, and they're, I'm not saying they're rotten, terrible, dirty scoundrels. They're fine people, but they've got this major issue in their life, and it's insecurity and low self-esteem. I'm putting them together insecurity and low self-esteem. People with insecurities and low self-esteem often, maybe not always, but often they feel like they have to prove something. I got to prove something. They, they try too hard to impress. They buy things they cannot afford. Like, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy the latest iPhone. I don't even know what the number is, 12 or whatever. You, you probably don't know. You know, I'm going to buy the latest iPhone. I'm going to buy the latest Samsung Galaxy phone. Well, you have a phone that's only a year old. Heh, that's not good enough. Well, doesn't it work? Can't you make calls? And No, 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 no. I got to show everybody. <laughs> Look what I got. I am a player. <laughs> I am the man. See? For them, a vehicle is not transportation, it's a status symbol. Come on, they, they, can't, they, they can't even afford to pay, you know, uh, the, the utility bill, but they're driving around the super-duper car. Look at me. Don't, don't think too hard, Jeppy. <laughs> <laughs> then people with, with low self-esteem, often they show off. Because they need affirmation from others. They need others to say, whoa. They need that applause. They, need, they, need, they, need, they get discouraged if they don't get enough thumbs up on their, on their social media post. Enough, enough hearts, right? Who am I talking about today? Is it you? you? You're real quiet. Praise the Lord. People with low self-esteem are often easily embarrassed. They, they, don't, they look a little bit in a bad light or something that you caught them at a bad moment, and they're angry. You saw me like this. I'm like that a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, they're easily embarrassed. And then to the opposite extreme, often they're very shy. You know, let's all worship God. And, uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to. I know it's right, I should, but I'm kind of withdrawn. Why? 
well, I, I might look foolish. In whose eyes? I said, in whose eyes? You mean God's eyes? That God would look at you and say, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Look at that person praising me. Oh, boy, I'm just, oh, angels, please do something. No, 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 no. God's not embarrassed when you praise him with enthusiasm. No, you're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. That's your problem. Until you get free from that, the devil's going to play carnival in your head all the time. Come on. He, he knows he can push your button. You get ready to praise God, this thought comes. Now, look at Sister Zama Zama. Did you see how she looked at you? She thinks you're crazy. Suddenly you go, ooh. <laughs> Let's all praise God. And what do you do? You look around the room. Am I the only one? Oh, I'm the only one. Come on. Do you need someone else's permission to worship the Lord? Do you need somebody else's affirmation before you can obey God? Why don't you just keep your eyes on heaven and you'll be fine? Come on. This is a bigger issue than people realize. Amen. When, when applauded, those with low self-esteem and insecurities, they feel elated. I'm in my element now. Oh. A lot of times people, you know, they'll, they'll do something, like maybe, no offense, but they'll sing a special number or, or they'll do something. And if people applaud, you know, they clap, they kind of go like, oh. Oh, please, please. Come on. They say this on the outside, but you know on the inside they're going, come on. Come on. Give it up. Give it up. Come on. Right? Not you guys, of course. When they are ignored, they are despondent. Get through singing, my heart out. And then no clapping. Well, um, you know, in church especially, we didn't come here to worship you. <laughs> we came here to worship God. Amen. Praise the Lord. With low self-esteem, insecurities, they cannot tolerate criticism while constantly criticizing everyone else. They interpret correction as rejection. They can never admit they're wrong. They are furious if others make fun of them while constantly making fun of others. They are often sarcastic, super-duper sensitive. So, you know, like... Uh, Oh, uh, this has happened a lot of times to me. But, you know, back in, uh, in the States, in America, you know, I went to the beach with the family. And I'm, you know, I'm fair complected. So, like, more or less. So, at the beach, you know, we're out on the sand. It's hot, you know, in the summertime. And then I come home, and I look in the mirror and scream, I'm now pink. <laughs> I'm pink. And, and, and I burn real easily. And so, you know, for several days, it just hurts. It just hurts, you know, like I can't even wear a shirt. 
A shirt like this just feels like, you know, feels like steel wool or something. It just feels like, just feels like sandpaper scraping my skin off. And even if you turn on a light, like a, just a bathroom light, it just, it just seems to hurt. Why? I'm super sensitive. I'm super sensitive. You know, normally that wouldn't bother me at all, right? People with low self-esteem are like that. They're super sensitive. You say something that possibly, maybe, might sort of be unflattering. They're super sensitive. And they take everything personally. They take it personal. Living with an insecure person is not a lot of fun. It can fact, it, in fact, it can be exhausting. People who are, have low self-esteem uh, are never at peace with others because they're never at peace with themselves. Behind the big facade is actually a fragile person. People with low self-esteem are always comparing themselves to others. What happens when you come to church in your new dress and then Sister Doohickey is wearing the same dress? Kill her. (laughs) Maybe that's just a normal female thing, I I guess. But, But, you know, you're always comparing yourself to others. If someone appears to be worse than them, they swell with pride. If someone appears to be better, they're filled with jealousy because they see everybody as a competitor. They're not your competition. They're not your rival. And in the church, they're your brother and your sister Isn't that right? They're part of the body of Christ. Right? Isn't that true? So if somebody compliments your eyes, you have beautiful eyes, does your nose get insanely jealous? Does your hand reach up in the nighttime to scratch those eyeballs out? No. No, the whole body is like, thank you. (laughs) Right? So why why should we see others in the body of Christ as our competition? They're not. If w- the Bible says that. This is not John Rotten. The Bible says that if one member is honored, the whole body is honored. If one member is hurting, the whole body is hurting. Right? Right? If, if I smash my thumb with a hammer, my ears and my nose don't say, ha, 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 you, you, you got what you deserve. No, I go, ow, mm, 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 mm. my whole body hurts. Right? Amen. Praise the Lord. The truth is that insecure people don't like themselves. And therefore, they are convinced that nobody else likes them either. How can anybody like me? I don't like me. You see? And the insecure person is unavoidably self-centered. Without even realizing it, he's constantly asking himself, What is everybody thinking about me? How do they rate me? But the truth is they're they're not thinking about you. They're thinking the same thing you're thinking. What do they think about me? 
So you, 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 you're obsessed with yourself. Do I look okay? Do I sound funny? You know, why did that person look at me this way? Me, 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 me. So get over yourself. Say, well, pray for me. I need to get delivered from bad habits. You need to get delivered from yourself. Amen. It'll be a glad day in your life when you say, I'm not so concerned about that. I realize there are other people in this world and they have issues too. And they have, and the devil will lie to you. And I'll say, you're the only person like that. Let me just set you free today. Everybody in this room has that problem. I would say everybody I've met in Nagaland, with a few exceptions, is insecure. I would say I think it's getting better than it was when I first came here, but I would also say it's got a long way to go. Let the Word of God set you free. Let the Word of God set you free. Amen? Praise the Lord. Several years ago, a woman uh, visited our church, and she was from another country. I think she was from Italy. I'm not sure. I think she was from Italy. And then later, she, she wants to meet me. So she tells me that um, she wants to divorce her husband because he's impossible to live with. And as she described the situation, I said to me, I said to her, it sounds like your husband suffers from low self-esteem and insecurity. She said, oh, no, no, no. He is so arrogant. He's cocky. And I said, that, that's the symptom. That's the classic symptom of insecurity. And as we began to talk, she realized that with every disagreement that they had, her husband interpreted that as a personal attack. You're saying, I'm no good. You're saying there's something wrong with me. And, and he just could not, he could not handle that, you see. So she needed to reassure her husband and constantly encourage him. Ladies who are here today and watching online, I would like to help you. Most men are not as secure as they pretend to be. You know, you guys look like a photograph. I'm feeling a little insecure right now myself. Most men are not as secure as they pretend to be. I'm talking about all over the world. Kind of put on the big macho stuff. But inside, <laughs> they're very fragile inside. Are you listening to me? And so men don't really need a critic. They want a cheerleader. Hmm? I said, men, I'm talking about husbands. You know, you want to be married, ladies? Listen up. Men don't really need a critic, someone who's going to find fault with everything they do. They already have that. It's their mother. They need someone who will be their cheerleader. <laughs> they need someone who will cheer them on, who will inspire them and encourage them and say, I believe in you. Am I the only man that feels that way? Am I alone here? Okay, thank you, man. Thank you. It's your time to shine. I've said this before, but think about sporting events. You know, I, I don't know. I know like in, in, in some things like, um, I don't know, professional cricket, do they, do they do this or not? But I know in other sporting events like, like, like American basketball and things like that, on the sidelines, you know, of the, of the field or whatever, they have women who are cheerleaders. You know what I'm talking about? 
right? So, you know, they have pom-poms and things like that, and they, and they kind of do cheers. Go, team, go. Yay, go, team, go. We're going to win. We're going to win. You're going to lose. We're going to win. Things like that, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? So why, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Because men need that kind of inspiration. Men need that. They're, they're fighting the battle. It's hard. Oh, we're losing. We're behind by 20 points, you know. And on the sideline, you're going to win. You're going to win. We're going to win, you know. And the man's like, come on, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Yeah. Right? They don't have women on the sidelines complaining. Everything you do stinks. What's wrong with you? Why did you do that? The guys will just all quit and they won't play the game. They'll just attack the cheerleaders. <laughs> so a good wife is going to be her husband's number one fan. Well, you don't understand the old goat I'm married to. So that makes you the wife of an old goat. That's nothing to be proud of. <laughs> See, the problem is, if you've convinced yourself that your husband's no good, everything you say is going to be tainted with that thought. The devil's built a stronghold in your mind. Now, my husband doesn't do anything good. He's terrible. He's the devil. He's Judas. No, 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 no. Come on. Come on. You're talking like the devil. You tell me he has no good qualities? He does. He does. He does. Focus on his good qualities. Be an encourager to him. If he loses his job, don't scold him. My mother told me not to marry you. <laughs> Just say, no problem. This may be God. I believe the Lord has a better job for you. I've always felt that you can do better than that. Well, I tell you, a man like that can go out in the world and he can conquer. <laughs> Ooh, it's real quiet here today. Can the men say amen? Can the women say oh me? <laughs> Hallelujah. So in, in conclusion, what is the cure for low self-esteem in any believer? Well, it's the love of God. It's the love of God. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know the value of something by the price that was paid for it. So you must be valuable. Because there was a hefty price tag on you. God paid an outrageous price to get you. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Amen. Now, probably every youth group in the world has seen this demonstration. But maybe some of the older kids this morning need to see it as well. I have in my hand a 500 rupee note. All right? It's the real thing. 500 rupee note. So what is this worth? 500 rupees, right? I mean, you can buy, you know, a bunch of stuff with it, right? 500 rupees, right? That's what it's worth. All right, now, what if I drop it on the ground? What's it worth? 500 rupees. What if I step on it? <coughs> What's it worth? Yeah. What if I just tape it and throw it and just throw it away? What's it worth? 
500 rupees. My demonstration is over. Because <laughs> it's still worth 500 rupees. <laughs> All right. Your worth is not determined by how other people treat you. People can throw you down. They can step on you. They can spit on you. They can abandon you. They can crumple you up and try to tear you into pieces. But your net worth is not determined by how other people have treated you. That doesn't say anything about you. That says a whole lot about them. Amen. The cure for a poor self-image is to have an ongoing operation on your soul. Cut out the lies of the devil and implant the truth of God's word and begin to see yourself. This is a process, my friend. It's not going to happen instantly. Begin to see yourself the way God sees you. In closing, you are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your problems. You are not defined by your popularity. You are not defined by your position in society. You are defined by a person, Jesus Christ. We are identified with him. I have worth because the loving God loves me with an everlasting love. I may not have a big house in the future. I may not have a nice car tomorrow. I may not have this job, you know, next year, but he will never stop loving me. So my self-worth is not based on how many oohs and ahs I get from the crowd. It's based on the love of my father. I'm secure in that. I'm secure in that. Hallelujah. And that's the key to victory in this area. Others may criticize me. Maybe right, maybe wrong. But that doesn't change my net worth in God's eyes.